conviction is one of God's kindnesses to his creation, but it doesn't always feel kind to some people. We just don't get that zippy-yippy feeling when we are feeling convicted about something that we did wrong. And, well, that is a problem, and we need to talk about that because conviction is a good thing. In the spiritual realm, the concept of experiencing conviction is analogous to the pain we feel in our physical bodies. Imagine what it would be like if you had some pain, or had a problem rather, in your body, but you did not feel it, you did not know it. Actual guilt that leads to conviction is God's way of telling us that something is wrong with us and the vital need for us to be free. The most common sense response to conviction is to respond to the Lord's warning signal biblically. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to read what I'm sharing with you, all of our articles are free to you, and you are welcome to read and to share them with anybody that you wish. This is 2020, and so we are heading toward, we are wrapping up the 12th year of this ministry, and I do want you to know that I do pour tremendous time, thought, and resources into keeping this labor of love going, and to keep it free. It takes me hundreds of hours a month to research, to provide, to answer questions for people, to interact with folks all over the world, and it costs thousands of dollars to sustain this ministry. If you do find any joy and value in what I do, will you please consider giving? Now, you can donate or you can become a supporting member with a gift of your choosing. I do want you to know that your generosity does matter, and so if you want to give, I would be, a mo- I would be most appreciative. The title of this podcast and the article that you can read and share if you wish is The Ironic and Liberating Truth About Feeling Conviction. Now, I'm going to be talking about real guilt and conviction, true guilt, true conviction. I realize that many of the folks in our community struggle with all sorts of things because of the shaping influences in their past, and because of that, some of the things that they feel are not real. Not real in the sense that it comes from the Lord. It's very real, but people can feel guilty for the things that they have done wrong when in actuality they have they have not done wrong at all. For example, if if you have been trained by, like say, an authoritarian, harsh, abusive, mean individual, whether that was your mother or a grandparent, a a father or someone within the church, you can be trained in such a way. I call that a shaping influence to where you take on a a spirit of guilt or conviction that is truly not from the Lord. And so I do want to clarify up front that the conviction that I'm talking about in this article, in this podcast here, it is legitimate. Now, if you have trouble distinguishing that, well, I would appeal to you to get some help. Now, if we can help you to walk through that, we 
we would love to do that. Part of those free resources that we provide uh, to you is our free forum. And if you want to jump on it, get your username and password, that will help us because we we do keep our website spam-free and bot-free. And in order to do that, we do have to create a, a cyber hurdle for folks to, uh, to jump over. But it's not hard to jump over. It is free, but you do have to type in your username and password. And we would love to help you with that. All right, so I'm going to jump into this ironic and liberating truth about feeling conviction. When you feel legitimate, biblical, real guilt, well, you you have to, you will respond to it. Now, there are two ways to respond to it. You embrace it, and that is the only right answer. But but we can ignore the truth, the real guilt and conviction that God brings into our life and it lives. And if we mute or ignore the conviction alarm, ding, 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 we we delay our response time to fix our transgression. In the worst of cases, if we do not respond at all, we can do irreparable harm to our souls. To not experience or react to conviction is to be susceptible to spiritual hardness. You know the verse very well, 1 Timothy 4.2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. We, we can learn the implication here that our consciences are moldable, meaning they can be very soft. And that's what I was speaking about earlier. Some people have a hypersensitive conscience where they take on things that are not theirs legitimately. But then if you move to the other end of the spectrum, you have this seared conscience, and it's people who mute or ignore the conviction alarm until after a while they don't feel it any longer. And as you might imagine, if there were no conviction for our transgressions, it would be like cutting your arm and not feeling it. As much as the feeling of guilt and conviction feels terrible, it would be far worse if you felt nothing at all. Nobody wants to feel bad about what they did. I don't think any of us are narcissistic that way to where we just want to pummel ourselves and we want to feel bad about the things that we do. But which is worse? Pretending? There is nothing wrong when there is something wrong or being aware of the problem. And even though being aware of the problem does feel bad, that's far better than not knowing that there is an issue. Even the natural people, I'm talking about unbelievers, the non-Christian, they can know when they are doing wrong things Per Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15, he said this, that when the Gentiles, talking about non-Christians, who do not have the law, who do not have the Old Testament, by nature do what the law requires. He's saying that these people, the unregenerate, don't have the Bible, but they, they do the things that are contained in the Bible he says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience 
also bears witness. And so even the natural person knows when they are doing wrong. Now, Christians have an additional sensibility to sin because of the convicting power of the Spirit of God. We see the implication of that in Ephesians 4.30. We learn that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We learn in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that we can quench the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the Spirit of God enlightens, illuminates us, signals to us that there is something going haywire in our lives. And of course, if we respond wrongly to the convicting power of the Spirit of God, we will grieve Him or or quench him. So it doesn't matter on which side of the fence you are. If you are a non-Christian, you have an internal moral thermostat, a conscience. If you are a Christian, you have that also, and then you have the illuminating power of the Spirit of God. God's standard, and this is where we get our this is this is how we know the difference between right and wrong. And that's what Paul was saying about the Gentiles. They don't have God's Bible, but they do the things contained in the Bible where we have the Bible, and that's God's standard. We call it the law, the truth, the precepts, the principles. In fact, if you want to get a pile of words out for what we call the Bible, just read Psalm 119. Virtually not every one of the verses, but almost all the verses in that longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible, gives us these words for the Bible, like law, truth, precepts, principles. The Scriptures instruct us on how to live our lives. It's also called the canon. The canon, which means the rule. And so you line up the rule beside you, and you can see whether you are, if you are in line with the rule, the canon, the Bible. The Bible is a perfect picture like a mirror that we can view to learn how to order and live our lives. In addition to God's Word, He also gave us, and I mentioned this earlier because I was talking about the passage in Romans, He's given us a a conscience which acts as an inner voice. I like to say your conscience is a a moral thermostat. You may have a thermostat on your wall. When it goes up, it's saying it is hot. When it goes down, it's saying things are cooling. And so your conscience, your moral thermostat, sends ethical signals to let you know if you're living inside or outside of the canon, the rule, the standard, the Bible, whether a believer or non-believer. We are not in the dark about living a moral life. The word conscience comes from Latin, which means co-knowledge, con-science, a companion knowledge, companion science. The Father gave humanity a voice to guide us. Of course, when you toss sin into the mix— Things can go sideways quickly, and that is our nemesis, that is our kryptonite, that is our problem. Sin acts as a dulling agent, which desensitizes a person from feeling biblical conviction, and when this happens, your soul begins to drift from God's good intentions for you. 
The conscience and God's word work in concert. For example, when I break one of his moral laws, one of his ethical standards, the alarm goes off. My conscience sends me that ethical signal to let me know all about it. At that moment, I have to make a decision. Will I respond positively, which will lead to repentance, or will I ignore the signal? That is the crossroad. You've been there. You've been there a zillion times. So have I. Repentance is God's plan for me to find relief, which is the portal to restore my relationship with him. In fact, these four words all start with R. They work in a sequence, repentance. The first step is relief, leads to restoration of relationship. Repentance, relief, restore relationship with him and with others. If I have sinned against others, it's it's not always true that when you sin, that, that you sin against other people as well, but all sin is a sin against God. And so God is always within the sphere of offense, and so God needs to be within that sphere of confession. Sometimes other people will be within that sphere of offense And they need to be in that sphere of confession as well. And so my response to conviction is a confession, meaning I agree, which is what the word means, to agree, confession, agree. I agree with God that I have done wrong, and I want to do something about it. I am acknowledging, agreeing, I'm acknowledging my mistake, my misdeed, my misjudgment, whatever you want to call the violation of his truth. Confession puts me on the same page with the Lord. At this point, God will freely forgive me of my sin based on the death of Christ on the cross. In this scenario that I just laid out for you, here is the sequence. There is guilt, because I transgressed. There is conviction. The Spirit of God is illuminating me. My conscience is pinging me. The the ethical alarm system is going off. And so I'm guilty because I transgressed. I am feeling it. It is legitimate. It's biblical, biblical conviction. I am moved toward confession. Guilt, conviction, and confession serve a fantastic and redemptive purpose in my life. They permit me to be a free man again. According to 1 John 1, 9, you know this verse, most of you, I would imagine, have memorized it at some point in time. It says, if we confess our sins, He, God, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in 1 John 1, 9, we learn the valuable truth that if a person confesses his sin to God, the good Lord is faithful to forgive the transgressor transgressor of that evil act, not not just forgive, as in release you, you can go free, but the residual effect of that, the residue of that sin goes away. He will forgive the transgressor. He will cleanse him of his unrighteousness. The way the Lord does this is by placing our sin on Jesus. And this is the real test. This is the real test for those of you who struggle at this juncture. The real test is whether or not you believe this core gospel truth. Do you accept 
what Christ did on the cross as sufficient to pay for the sin you have committed. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It does not matter what the sin is. I'm asking if you believe the gospel. It is this juncture in your spiritual life is when you choose to reconcile with God and again, possibly with others if they are within the sphere of offense. If if they're within the sphere of offense, then they should be within the sphere of confession, which means they should be within the sphere of forgiveness. And so they they are within the sphere of reconciliation as well but not always against others, but most definitely all sin is against God. Some Christians struggle with the fact that they do not have to do anything to be free from their sin. And and that is what I want to make the point of this podcast. I realize that there are many angles to this idea of, of feeling conviction and experiencing guilt and confession and forgiveness restoration, repentance. I I know that there are many angles to this, but I just want to talk about one because there are a lot of guilty Christians, and I put that in quotation marks because they should not be guilty, but they struggle with the fact that they don't have to do anything. In their heart of hearts, they are legalists. They're acting like legalists. They believe that relief Restoration, release from their sin must cost them something. Some call what I am saying here, their lack of doing something, they they call it cheap or easy grace. What they do not understand is that it was not cheap at all. Their sin, my sin, our sin, cost Christ his life. The father executed his son. I want you to listen carefully here. For those of you who know exactly what I'm going to say, you can take it and run with it from here because you know what's coming. But I want you to listen as well. Sometimes we can hear this truth so many times that we can say it like a parrot and and we can move our lips because we know it so well, but yet it is not impacting our hearts. And so for those of you who can say it better than I, slow down at this point. It is costly grace. The Father executed his Son on behalf of a sinful world. Someone had to pay, and that person was Jesus Christ. If you do not accept God's plan for forgiveness, your only option is to step into the place of God, to become a God, little G-O-D, a redeemer of your sin, rather than you accepting God's plan for your salvation and your sanctification. And I put both of those together because Well, salvation is a one-and-done deal. God regenerates you, and you become born again, and, and that is a very similar process. God takes, Christ takes all of your sin, past present and future, and and he redeems you, and you are adopted. You are justified, a forensic term. You are declared not guilty by the judge, and you are free. You are saved. But then as we 
move into our relationship with God. We call that sanctification. And, well, we have definitive sanctification, meaning at the point of regeneration, we have everything we need for life and godliness. It's like being born as a human being. You have everything that you need to be a human being, but there is a process of growing up into that and a fuller expression of that, and that is sanctification. Some people, rather than accepting God's plan for their salvation and their sanctification, you could say that the Christian life is repentance. You're born again and ongoing repenting. That is your sanctification. That does not make you more saved or less saved. It just makes you more cleansed and more mature, more Christ-like in your fallen body. But instead of accepting that, you put your, yourself in the place of the Lord. You are the one who decides where and when and how you will experience forgiveness. Do you see the problem with this heretical theology? To not accept God's forgiveness is to make a mockery of the cross. In such a case, the Father's punishment of the Son on the cross was, was not enough. This error in judgment makes you a, a legalist, a person who must do something in addition to Christ's payment. Can you imagine what in the world are you going to add to, to the infinite payment of, of Christ? Sin against God is an infinite crime against an infinite being. God is an infinite person. You sin against him, then that is an infinite crime. Thus, the infinite Father had to punish the infinite Son for our infinite crime. There's a, there's a redundancy here on purpose because I want you to hear the word infinite, meaning you can't add anything to it. It can't be any worse than that, and it cannot be any better than that. Our sin cannot be any worse, and of course, redemption cannot be any better than God's plan. The infinite Savior paid the infinite price for our infinite sin. You see, when someone breaks the law, you're going down the road and you run into someone and it's your fault, you, the, you, the, you, you are the offender. The lawbreaker doesn't determine the payment. You don't jump out of the car and say, hey, I'm going to assess the damage and I will tell you what it costs. No, there's a third party that comes in. The judge comes in. The insurance agent comes in and they look at the damage and they are the ones that determine what it will cost. In this case, the judge steps into your crime scene and he determines what it's going to cost for you to pay for the crime. Well, in this case, the Lord is the judge, and the Lord determined that what you did, what I did, you sinned against an infinite being. That means it's an infinite crime. Well, then you have to pay an infinite cost, and you say, well, I'm, I, I can't pay an infinite cost because I only have $100 in my bank account. I can probably sell some things. Maybe I can scrape up you know, $1,500 to pay for it. No, it's an infinite crime. If you are not willing to accept the infinite payment of Jesus Christ, the punishment of the infinite Son for an infinite crime— there is no hope for you because there is nothing you can add as payment for your sin. I trust that what I've said here is clear to you. Christ is enough to cover your sin. 
no matter what the sin is. Your transgression is not more significant than God's ability to script out a plan that he says, the judge says, that's enough. It is enough to pay for what you did wrong. To believe otherwise is to elevate your sin and your plan to pay for your sin, to elevate it higher than Jesus' work on the cross. That is a problem. The Father put his one and only Son on the cross as the payment for your sin, my sin, our sin. There is nothing else for you to do but believe. And so my question to you is straightforward. Do you believe the gospel? The title of this podcast and the article that I'm sharing with you, The Ironic and Liberating Truth About Feeling Conviction. Let me speak to the irony here. You may not have connected that dot yet, because I don't want you to miss the ironic interplay happening here. I talked about at the beginning that conviction was the bad feeling Nobody wants to feel bad about what they do wrong. In fact, sometimes when we feel bad about what we do wrong, we blame and justify and rationalize. We try to run from it, deny it, pretend it doesn't exist because we don't like the bad feeling. Now, again, all of that's wrong. But here's the ironic interplay. Conviction is the bad feeling that led you to the cross. And the cross of Christ gives you the best feeling because of the freedom and power of his unmerited and unlimited forgiveness. And so on one side, you have conviction dead center. You have the cross, the crux of the matter. The word crux means cross. Dead center, right in the middle, you have the cross. And so on one side of the cross, you have conviction, which feels bad. But that conviction is supposed to lead you to the cross. And then on the other side of the cross, you have this this freedom, this power, this unmerited and unlimited forgiveness, and that's the greatest feeling in the world. And so on one side you feel bad, on the other side you feel good. The cross is in the middle where you run to it and experience this. Though the Lord places the gospel on the lower shelf of our lives so anyone can see it and grasp it, in that way the gospel is simple. And I only mean that in the sense that 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 a seven-year-old can grasp, see it and grasp it. But the problem is not everyone accepts it or lives in its freedom. Now, this podcast can be, for some, a can of worms, and I, I realize that because there are, there are so many possible counter-arguments and there's so many struggle, different kinds of struggles that people can have with the idea of, of guilt and Conviction and confession and forgiveness. But I'm only dealing with one thing right now in this podcast. Will you believe the gospel? Perhaps you need to read this article that I just shared with you. I I would love for you to do that. Now, because I know that there are many different angles and counter-arguments to to what I'm sharing here, I also have some links here that I would love for you to, if they apply to you and you want to do a a further study on them things. I would love for you to do that. I have a list of things. I'll share them with you. In fact, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven articles. Here are the subjects. 
self-forgiveness, forgiving yourself. That's an angle. Some people say, well, I, I just can't forgive myself. That's heretical. I have an article here called The Danger of Forgiving Yourself. Legalism, I've talked about it in this podcast, but if you want to drill deeper into legalism, I have an article here based on that. I've talked about the conscience. Obviously, that is a problem. If you're dulling the the ethical warning system, the alarm system that God gives both the unbeliever and the believer, there's a article here where you can do a deeper dive into that. So forgiving yourself, legalism, hardening your conscience. The fourth one here is people-pleasing. People-pleasing is a big deal. In fact, if you are a a fully-orbed people-pleaser, it might be hard for you to experience forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness because you really want to impress people, and sometimes people-pleasers have a hard time being Honest and then God pleasing. I have an article here, one of the more popular ones actually on our website, written several years ago, called "The Danger of Trying to Please God." And then I have a another article about salvation and sanctification. It's actually the conversation that I had with my daughter about justification and sanctification. And then I have another one about. It's titled "I Met a Man Who Refuses to Walk Away from His Sin." The non-repenting. Christian. There are some Christians who just refuse to ever repent. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad you joined me. And if you want to talk to our team, please jump on our free forums and let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.